1: Support for the Rink Rat Report podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RinkRat. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T all one word, at manscape.com. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T at manscaped.com. If, that's, if my math is correct, that's about 16 million balls. The Rink Rat Report podcast is also brought to you by Boston Pizza's new playoff menu, developed using Fanalytics. BP has run the numbers to craft the perfect playoff menu, which includes our winged ribs, the new league leader in wings above replacement. Visit BP for puck drop tonight. All right, we're recording? Yes, sir. Welcome, everyone, to the Rink Rat Report podcast. A little series preview, second-round series preview between the Leafs and the Florida Panthers, as always, joined by Jason.
0: How's it going? Let's go. I, I, honestly, I don't know what to do with my hands right now because I've never <laughs> done one of these That's before. That's what I've been thinking all day.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, I felt like a rocket ship.
0: <laughs> honestly, though, like, uh, the first, like, Literally, for the entire 82-game season, I've been thinking to myself, how are we going to match up with Tampa? And I never really thought this far ahead. So I, I feel like I'm a little slightly underprepared for this than that we normally are, how granular we go with these things. but um, Didn't have much of a turnaround, right? I mean, yeah. No, I mean, one day to think think about it and, and watch this uh, Panthers-Bruins series and see how the mm-hmm. Panthers play. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. We get to do a round two preview. So let's, let's
1: go. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So a little bit of a different episode today. We were on the leafs digest with zach phillips uh you can check him out at zach Phil on twitter z-a-c-k-p-h-i-l-l two l's jason did you write that correctly there we are Uh, on twitter and leafs digest l-e-a-f-s-d-i-g-e-s-t on youtube uh we were talking about Leaf forward lines, defensive pairing, coaching matchups, general concerns in the series. And then we're going to continue our conversation after you listen to that. We're going to go a little bit detail, get into some details regarding Florida, how they score goals and how the Leafs can beat them. Uh, So let's throw it over to that interview now.
2: Let's start it off here with the lineups and the lineups for us, I'm here, I mean, I think the three of us are probably going to be on pretty much the same page, but let's first and foremost take a look at the lineups that came out from Mark Masters uh, from TSN earlier today from the Leaf skate. So we'll run through these and we'll go through them one line at a time. I think this is the best way to do it. So starting with the first line put out here, Nice Matthews, Nylander, boys, I'm just going to go his first and foremost right to you uh you look at that nice matthews nylander line we saw it at the end of the series against tampa there it was a little bit jumbled in a sense because we did watch an 11 and 7 deployment with justin hall going in the stands Lilligren and gus Gustavson coming in and then Lafferty, at zach, zach and reese coming out but you see nice matthews nylander are you comfortable with this line would you make adjustments or like what was your initial thoughts there
1: like Sorry to start off on such a shitty note, but the only kind of downside I saw with it was the ability of Matthew Nyes to take the puck off the boards in his own end. Had a couple turnovers in game six, specifically one let that led to a goal, but yeah. I think the offensive upside is just incredible. His shot with that velocity is sickening. His hands are sneaky good too. He's a good puck hunter on the four check, similar to what we saw from Michael Bunting there. So, He does bring some good energy to that top line. He does add some like really good stuff to put it as general as possible. So I do like that line. We'll see where we go from there. I mean, the good thing about the Leafs lineup though, you can go like there's our next option isn't Alex Kerfoot. Our next option is then (laughs) Michael Bunting and we have Mm -hmm. some other guys that we can mix in there too. So I'm I'm okay for game one going with nice Matthews Nylander. I think the upside is good and yeah, we'll see how we progress from there.
0: And, and I think Piz, you, you nailed it right there. Like nice earned this promotion to the top line. Uh, if, if nice maybe didn't play as well throughout the series, fine. I, I could totally understand Michael Bunting being on that being on that line. But I think this is more so Matthew nice earning his way up the lineup. And on top of that, like if we're going to be honest, listen, I know we're starting off on a, on a tough note, but, uh, William Nylander at 5-on-5, five five. I wanted to see a little bit more out of him in, from last series. He only had two 5-on-5 five five points, and again, I'm not criticizing his play. I think he still played well, but I think there's definitely room for him to give a little bit more in this series. And I think this series might actually be a good series for him to... Uh, might play a little bit better into his style of play. Florida seems to be a more high-event team. They like to kind of transition the puck a little bit more, and William Nylander can take advantage of that, especially when you look on their back end compared to Tampa. Tampa's a much more defensively sound team, so... William Nylander, I, I I'm looking at this line I'm I'm circling him I'm saying he's going to have a better series from last yeah. series he's going to he's going to be a key factor in this series and, and on also on top of well. that if
1: you keep him away from Tavares I think that's going to be fairly easy he was with Tavares way too much in that series and you know at 5 on 5 yeah. his play really suffered but when you see when they switch it to Matthews you know or even O'Reilly you can switch it to Matthews or O'Reilly and I think he'll have some success there
2: yeah. No other thing I was thinking about too. When you put this line together, you kind of look at the situation that you have. If you go Nylander Tavares, they are, and like I don't want to call them bad, but they're vanilla. That that is what that line kind of gives you. It's it's nothing special. It's nothing really. It, you're gonna sit there and say this is gross. We don't want this anymore. But it's just like, what are they doing? They're not giving. They're not really kind of generating, providing too much from that standpoint. And then if you put Nyes on that wing with Tavares and Nylander, which we had seen them kind of throw out the possibility of that line, then you kind of feel like you're ending up with a defensively liable line across the board. And it's not to say that Nyes going out there is a bad defensive option. It's just that he's not the best defensive option. And then you put him with Tavares Mm -hmm. and Nylander, and then you're kind of sitting there going, okay, now our second line, which, yeah, they could potentially be potent on offense. You can't trust them too much in the defensive zone from that standpoint, which could be a little bit concerning. You're going to maybe avoid them on defensive zone draws and stuff, so they could pin it there. Uh, but yeah, I'm fine with the Nice matthews nylander line, uh, nylander line as it is. And it's going to lead me to the next point here as we do look at the second line that we have, uh, pulling up here from Mark Masters, Yarncroke, Tavares, Marner. I don't know if you guys agree with this point, but... I look at it like this, and people complained and got worried and said, oh my god, I can't believe Matthews needs Marner. I don't think Matthews needs Marner. I think Tavares needs Marner, and I think that Matthews can work with anybody. I just think he probably needs a little bit more consistency. So, okay, he's played with William Nylander for a good chunk of the season. He's got that chemistry with them. They know each other well. I think that's going to be fine. I think Tavares needs Marner, and I think this is probably actually the optimal slot for Tavares and Marner to be in together. And then croak to me, on the other side, I said it to Jason before because I think I've talked to you about it, but like, croak just performs better in the top six than he does in the bottom six, and hopefully he can find a way to fit into this lineup here, but I'm fine with this line as is, especially with that point being, I think Marner uh, is that kind of crutch essentially to Tavares, where Tavares needs Marner? I don't know if that's a hot take or if you guys agree, but I, I'm I'm good with this second line as is.
0: Yeah, I'm good with the second line as well. Like I think, like like you said, Marner and Tavares work really well together. We saw those early years with with the uh, with the Leafs here when when John Tavares originally came on came and joined us through free agency. Mitch Marner and him were stuck together like glue with with. Uh, Babcock behind the bench and hey it worked well John Tavares had a career year when he was playing with Mitch Marner right so obviously these guys one have chemistry to play very well off each other the addition of Yarncrook I understand what you're saying Zach where he's better in the top nine I'm just still a little iffy on it I really think um again Yarncrook is more in this top top six role as a result of his play or sorry it's the opposite of the first time where I think bunting they're not going to give bunting the the top six just yet they're going to make him earn it Whereas Matthew and I clearly earned the top six. Callie Yarncrook, I, th- I thought his play was a little bit all over the place again uh, last series. He was one of the few forwards who I, I kind of expected more out of and didn't get as much of. But I think putting yeah. him on this line, he could do very well. And again, this uh, the team that we're playing against is much different than, than Tampa. We'll get into the matchups a little bit later. But I think the construction of having Yarncrook on this line, I think it's the best fit when you look
1: at the third line and how that's uh, put together. But we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, I'm going to disagree a little bit with jason there i really like the combination of marner yarn just i mean yarn isn't a play driver so that's where zach feeds into your point of he's better in the top six versus the bottom six because he needs those skilled players to give him those looks but guess what he's gonna finish on those looks he's the anti-alex kerfoot almost you can call him but (laughs) I, i i do agree he didn't have the production that we saw from the regular season especially the second half of the regular season in that playoff series but you know in the playoffs you need those depth guys you need those secondary guys to to chip in here and there and I think with the the combination of the sickening shot in close of Callie Yarncroft and the sweet feeds of Mitch Marner will help to chip in there we'll call it and the other point that I was
2: thinking about here when I saw this line was kind of breaking some of it down and like where I would have some pushback on you as well, Jason, with some of it is like. I think Yarn Croak helps that line more defensively than Bunting would being there. Where Bunting going alongside Tavares just makes that line a little bit more less defensively responsible or capable. And it's not to say that Yarn Croak is like some selkie winning forward out there by any by any means, but he's a guy who is a little bit more defensively responsible, yeah, and maybe aware than a guy yeah. like Michael Bunting is. So he nah, kind of just elevates that second line up a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, again, I'm happy with this line. I, you know what, honestly, for the most part, as we go through these, you guys are just going to hear me say, I'm, I'm pretty happy yeah. with this line, but uh, as it is right they make now, sense. I think
1: they the, looked pretty good. I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah. And so we saw them not? kind of close out the series like that. Was it the best that we'd seen this Leafs team play? No, it wasn't. Obviously it was one series where we walked away from and went, oh, my God, we actually didn't deserve that to win that one. And we did, but <laughs> you got through, you got through. So yeah, I mean, let's transition here to the third line as well, bringing up the Masters tweet again. Bunting, O'Reilly, Achari. Guys, I only have one point, and it's one of those ones where it's like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, or like a million other sayings that you could apply to this one, but it's like, I fell in love with the nice O'Reilly-Achari line together. I thought they were probably the Leafs' best line in terms of consistency for the two two-and-a-half-game stretch maybe it was that they played together in the series against Tampa. That being said, I understand the elevation of Nyes, so I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. It's more one Mm -hmm. of those ones where it's just like, "Ah, I actually just love seeing Nyes with them. But again, to the point that I made defensively, is Bunting the most responsible or capable defensive forward? Not really, but you know who's there to help him out: Nolichari and Ryan O'Reilly, two guys who can play penalty kill and late game situations for this Leafs team. So it kind of just like takes away from that, takes away some of the worries that you might have. So, again, for the third time on these three forward lines, I'm happy with it. I'm okay with it.
1: I agree. I mean, I can kind of see that switch though that you mentioned there: bunting up to the first line, Nyes to the sec, uh, the third line. I mean, that is a, a seamless switch, I would say. But yeah. for now, I, I think Michael Bunting had a, a decent game six. He did what he needed to there. It wasn't like a terrific one. He had a couple couple shots on that, a couple looks here and there. It wasn't like, you know, out of this world, Michael Bunting that we saw last year kind of points. But, you know, I, I think this line is, is decent. But, yeah, and overall, these lines are pretty good. They make sense when you cut them up line by line that – could be interpreted if you cut that line out (laughs) in a severely different way jesus but i can see a lot of different switches happening here happening here and there yeah and
0: uh yeah the the switching could happen and i think this is actually Mm -hmm. a smart way to start this series with the third line because one thing i noticed that it's kind of outside the realm of like between whistles I'm thinking outside the whistles right now, who better to have beside Michael Bunting than Ryan O'Reilly mm-hmm. and Nola char when you're playing guys like Radko Gudas, Matthew, Chuck, the stall brothers, right? Uh, even, even Dolpe's a little, little, got a little kick in his game. The fourth liners on, uh, on, on Florida, like they're, they're a little pesky, right? They, they're not afraid to muck things up between, between whistles or sorry, outside the whistle. So, um, yeah having no Brian O'Reilly and Noah Chari kind of buy Michael Bunting's side, I think that'll deter some of the um some of some of the Florida players from trying to get under his skin. And I thought Michael Bunting did a great job of uh being a little standoffish in the in, in the game six. So I think that in that sense this line works really well. But also like five on five this line works well too because again like three strong offensive forwards with two incredibly defensively responsible forwards in o'reilly and achari and and if bunting could just kind of shore things up in his own zone and not overthink where he's supposed to be just Mm -hmm. identify where like identify where he's supposed to be in his own zone this this is a a, i think a rock star line no matter who you put on this line though bunting or nice this third line is, is amazing and i'm happy with
1: it yeah I wouldn't call it amazing. I mean, back uh, this is a, <laughs> a least podcast, but it, let's back it up a little bit. It's solid. I think it lacks a little bit of transition ability, but I, I do think yeah. it is. It it has some dogs on it.
2: Yeah, I like it especially from the the get-into-the-offensive-zone perspective. One thing that I talked about here and one thing I think is kind of a little bit of an underrated piece of a game is having a third or fourth line who can maintain offensive zone pressure. Mm -hmm. And maybe like you'd love for them to be able to turn it around and create offense. I think that they have guys here, especially in Bunting and O'Reilly, who can do that. And you have a guy like Achari who... He can finish, and he can create. He can kind of bury opportunities. Maybe he's not going to create them, but he can bury on some of the opportunities that he's put in if he's in front of the net, which is likely what his responsibility would kind of come to with these two guys. But one of the benefits that you get of having this third line, and especially the way we saw Keith start to use guys in the end of Game Four, Game Five, a little bit, and Game Six, there was. Go get offensive zone pressure. Hold the other team into the zone for 30, 45 seconds, a minute. Hold them out there, and then slowly filter guys out for a change. But guess what? David Kampf and Alex Kerfoot aren't the next guys out the door because Ryan O'Reilly, Achari, and Bunting are out there as your third line. Austin Matthews, William Neelander, and Matthew Neis are the next guys coming out on the ice, or a combination of Marner... Matthews and Nylander and next thing you know Tampa's been in their zone for a minute and a half a minute 45 two minutes now and you've got the best offensive players on the leaves coming out the door again that's a line that can sustain pressure I think and kind of keep it down below the goal line put that pressure on you and just hem you in there for a period of time to either wear you out or frustrate you and then on top of that. Cool. Okay, maybe they can't come out right away and generate something, but maybe Florida's going to have to ice the puck here. And maybe you put complete fresh legs out off an offensive zone draw. I think there's benefits to that line. But, again, I like it, and I think that there's that flexibility, uh, like you said, Piz, of, okay, maybe you need to switch something. Bunting, first line, nice, third line. And, again, people need to remember with a lot of this when we're looking at these lines – these lines are not going to be played like one, two, three. These lines are likely going to be played like one, two, two in a situation like that. And then maybe they're gonna basically play the same amount of minutes. So don't panic if you start to see Matthew Nice go down to the quote unquote third line. Like that's not necessarily what that means. So that's kind of how I that's how I view the least lines through that top nine as it is right now. But that also leaves us with the remaining players here, uh, according to Masters' tweet: Aston Reese, Camp and Camp and Kerfoot on the fourth line. Looks like Lafferty on the outside, looking in right now. Where are you guys at on this? Uh, Piz, go to you first. Like, you, what do you think about that fourth line and Lafferty being left out?
1: Yeah, I had some. I think reasonable expectations for Sam Lafferty after they traded for him. I mean, the speed is nice. The speed is noticeable. But just the underlying numbers every single game this series have sucked. Like, you can't put it any worse. They have just been horrible. I I, I tell people, it's like, he does a great job being first to the puck. He does a great job continuing cycles. But if it's not on his stick, off his stick quickly, like, he gets the puck on his stick, and it's almost like he gets a men in black flash in front of his eyes, and he forgets what the (laughs) hell he's doing out there. He, he, he He lacks a lot of hockey sense. So... I'm not surprised that he's on the outside looking in. They gave him several chances, and unfortunately, it yeah. didn't work out. I think it will work out better next season after they get some time to work with him. Well, like, it better work out next season. <laughs> he, he was part of a pretty big trade. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm all right with I thought Aston Reese was better than him. Um, I guess they like the 12 and 6 kind of the... You know, you're not jumbling it so much with the lines. Um, I mentioned last episode with Jason on the Rink Rat Report podcast, like having that 7D kind of was a little bit jumbled and you ended up at a time with Gustafson and Riley out there, which is something you really don't want. Like just two pretty much, you pretty much had five forwards on the ice at that time. Um, So, yeah, I I think adding that stability of like the 12 and six or the consistency is a better word is a a better Mm -hmm. idea.
0: Yeah, and uh, honestly, one thing I was shocked by from Aston Reese in the previous series, I sent I sent this to you guys, and uh, I, I believe this was before Game Five, so it's I think it's just Game One, Two, Three, Four. It might have included Game Five as well. But just looking at um, some some micro stats, his exits and controlled exits, he shockingly had 21 exits and 13 controlled exits. That puts him second on the Leafs in exiting the puck out of our zone. Second, if you can believe that. Now, obviously, some of that has to do with the fact that. David Kampf does not exit the puck very much. And Sam Lafferty barely had any touches in the defensive zone and also was not exiting the puck. So he was kind of the only guy exiting the puck there. And you don't really think of Zach Aston Reese as that guy to exit the puck. Uh, He did have nine turnovers. uh, So that was a little shocking. But again, that could be a small sample thing. And all this could be a small sample thing. Just one thing that I think when I see this line is this line is a lot better in transition than I think it is. Uh, just from based off those raw numbers, we know how good Alex Kerfoot is, but Zach Astorys can also do those things in transition. So what I see here is Mm -hmm. a defensively responsible fourth line. who can get the puck out of our zone and potentially create, like you said, Zach, what we want to see in the offensive zone, those long, long winded um, shifts for uh, where you, where you get a cycle going kind of hem, hem uh, Florida in their own zone and tire them out and then get the big guns to come out to capitalize on it. That's what I see with this fourth line. And, and also this fourth line is good enough defensively, I feel like, to match with yeah. probably majority of the, the the lines on Florida. Now, Florida has some really good forwards, uh, so it might be a little bit harder. But Keith has shown that he likes to use his fourth line to line match against other teams' better lines. So I think with this mix, swapping Lafferty and Kerfoot, you have a much better – that this line has a much better defined role and is better at that role than previously with Lafferty.
2: Well, I agree with that. I think that especially with the way Keith deploys them, he kinda likes to do that and jump that fourth line into spots against upper lines of other teams. Like we saw that in the Tampa Bay series. But the one thing that I kind of looked at when I was looking at Florida's lines ahead of this series is that if you go mono a mono, fourth line versus fourth line, I think this fourth line as is can take over and beat and be much better than Tampa's fourth line. And it's a low bar to set, I guess, considering, like, when you look across at the offensive ability of David Camp, Zach Aston Reese, alongside Alex Kerfoot, a guy that we got ragged on basically all year of, like, man, this guy's can't finish, can't score, and we people, like, lost their minds over him, but I look at that, and I just look at where Florida's fourth line is, and if they go head-to-head, I think our fourth line could take advantage of it, so... I like the stability, like Piz said, where you kind of can rely on the consistency of, okay, 12 and 6, let's get into a little bit more of a cleaner structure, and let's not try to mess around with having to switch around fourth line guys in and out, and then you can rotate through your top nine, top nine and move those guys in and out. So I'm fine with this. I mean, obviously, we're not going to be sitting here talking about this fourth line at the end of the series and be like, wow, they scored somewhere between 5 to 10 goals in it, but hey, eliminate Florida's opportunities eliminate the goals that they score. I'm fine with that. The one thing that I think was a, a good way to kind of describe what the fourth line did for a lot of the regular season was they were just like the fast forward button. When they went on the on the ice, there was basically zero goals against. Uh did they score? No, not really, but there was zero goals against. So you basically just put them out for 30, 45 seconds and you're just getting through a shift where the the top nine rests and there is some value to that. As much as Leafs fans might want to sit here and be like, I can't believe these guys don't score. There's some value to that. <laughs> Getting through shifts and killing some time and being defensively responsible, I'm okay with the with those guys. So, yeah, I do like the 12-6, and six, and it's nothing against Lafferty. I I thought he was going to be a, a somewhat effective here. Hasn't really worked out, and if it doesn't, you've got to take make adjustments to take the guys out of the lineup. So uh, that's kind of where we're at through the forwards, And but I, I think it's a pretty good breakdown there. Let's get to uh, the defense. I really don't have too much to say about it, but we'll pull these up. I'll see where you guys are at. I think there's one lightning rod of a piece that everyone across Toronto... And when I say everyone, I mean literally everyone. My grandparents and aunts and uncles are asking me about this guy. (laughs) But thankfully he comes out of the lineup in in game six and it looks like he hasn't made his way back in. And so that would be Justin Hall. Looking at the lines here from Mark Masters, you look at top line, Riley, Shen, McCabe, Brody, second pair, Giordano, Lilligren, and then it looks like Gustafson and Hall on the outside looking in. I mean, in terms of the changes that are made here for number three, Justin Hall being on the outside, the movement that you see around that, looks like Lilligren's going to stay in. If we're going 12-6, and Gustafson would be the odd man out in this situation. Uh, Jason, do you agree with this? And keeping Lilligren and him being the sixth man and Gustafson kind of coming out, staying with the 12-6, and and then just keeping the other guys together.
0: Yeah, I think I, I agree with uh, sticking with the twelve and six over going back to the eleven and seven. I think the eleven and seven was a very specific calculated move. We talked about this on the on the live stream if you caught that, and we talked about this on our yeah. uh, post game reaction on the RinkRide report. Uh, but it was a calculated move by Sheldon Keith because listen, if you're rolling the blender and you're throwing out different lines every different shift, it's almost impossible to line match that. And that's kind of what yeah. that's John Cooper's ace in the hole that he has over. At, Almost every other coach in the NHL, he's a really smart guy and he's able to line match really well and knows how to structure his lines against other teams' lines. So that was, I think, a, almost a special, a, a special move by Sheldon Keith to kind of quell what the Lightning brought. Now, going back to twelve and six, I think this is gonna help out our defenseman get a little bit more uh, structure, I think, and and be a little bit more. Uh, I guess chemistry get get the chemistry back and get the consistency back be they're they're gonna be able to break out the puck a little bit better than what we saw in game six. The biggest thing obviously is Justin Hall the big question what what are we doing with Justin Hall? I honestly thought he would there's potentially no question. Draw back <laughs> I guess not but i i I genuinely thought that uh after like the new series almost hit the reset button, I thought Sheldon Keith would bring him back into this lineup here, but I mean it, it, from the looks of it, it looks like Timothy Lilligren's in and honestly deservedly so he didn't make any yeah. mistakes, and that's kind of what you want to see out of that. Out of uh, out of him playing with Mark Jordan. if the, if they just as a as a third unit do not make any mistakes, I'm happy here. And the main thing that uh, Justin Hall brings as, from a specialty standpoint is his PK ability. Like this, I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the butt. But Florida's been one of the worst P, uh, power play teams in the NHL in the playoffs so far, and obviously very small sample. But they haven't been able to capitalize on the five-on-four. They had they had a one, I believe they had two goals at five-on-four, and one of them was at five-on-three or sorry four-on-three. And then their their only other man advantage goal was when they had the net pull. So they only really had, I think, four or five um, goals with the man advantage, which is not that many when you can when you look back at this series and see how many penalties uh, Boston had. So um, right. their power play wasn't really converting that much. So again, having a PK specialist like. Justin Hall, yeah, that makes more sense against Tampa where you have Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos who are like one of the best power play duos in the NHL. But, and again, no disrespect to Florida here, but it's just, if we look at the numbers, their power play just hasn't been able to get it done to the clip that Tampa has. So I think Lilligren drawing it makes a little bit more sense. As long as we can keep the turnovers down and we can not make mistakes, I'm I'm super happy with this.
1: Yeah, makes sense. I mean, Justin Hall was just incredibly bad. I thought it was very ballsy from Keith to not only put one defenseman that hasn't played in a while, but two (laughs) Two. in place of him. Um, So now it kind of sets you up good for the next series too, because both of them looked all right in game six. So why not keep rolling with, I guess, one one of them that, uh, you know, you've gotten some good quality top four play from him earlier this year. Uh, In regards to the Florida power play, yeah, it was five. I counted it was five goals on the power play from Florida this year. So uh, this year, this playoffs, so maybe leaving the PK specialist who couldn't seem to do anything else in that series on the sidelines makes sense for now. But you know, he, and wasn't even that great on the penalty fresh. kill. No, he was pretty good. He was all right. I yeah, mean,
0: his willingness to block shots is definitely something that was yes, positive yeah. to see. Yeah, but was other than huge? that,
1: yeah. The one thing someone pointed out to me Friday before game six, they were like, look at Stamkos on the power play. He hasn't done much in this series because of Justin Hall. Justin Hall's always plopped on that side. And then in game six, you got a, a one-timer off the, po- a good one-timer from Stamkos. And then a good one-timer off the post from Stamkos. So uh, right away, it clicked those was I like, go, oh, there we are. <laughs> but yeah, makes sense to keep rolling with Timothy Logren. I mean, Yeah, Yeah, I think it could be a massive positive, and I think it could really help Mark Giordano, who, I mean, let's not mince words. He did not have a very good series either.
2: Yeah. That's the one thing I was thinking about, is Giordano didn't have the greatest series uh, in that one against Tampa either. So... I mean, you give him Lilligren, who we played well with last year. Um, Maybe you kind of inject some of those young legs into him where it's the guy who can go up and down the ice, and Geo doesn't necessarily have to be as concerned to be the guy in that pairing to advance the puck up, which he would have to be uh, with Mm -hmm. when he's matched up with uh, Justin Hall, but take some of that pressure away, get uh, Lilligren in there, who is fresh, has played uh, or hasn't played as much over the last little while, so he's got some rested legs, I guess, which had been a concern for us, but he looked fine in the game that he jumps in against Tampa. And then in terms of the other pairings as they're set, I mean... Morgan Riley goes. He's tied for 12th in the NHL playoff points, or he was as of last night before the games that took place there. So he goes, and he's having a really good, uh, really good postseason so far from an offensive standpoint. Him and Luke Shen are among the top five on the Leafs in their expected goals for percentage during that during that first series. Uh, Luke Shen is second in the NHL in hits, so you're looking at this guy like he kind of just feels like he's been this stabilizing presence alongside Morgan Riley. I'm not going to say it's the exact same, but very similar to the style that we saw Ron Hainsey kind of play to Riley where it's like you go be Morgan Riley Mm -hmm. and don't worry about doing this whole defense thing because you're not very good at it. Like I got you back here and obviously it's not like just uh, uh, Luke Shen is like a world beater defenseman, but he's more defensively minded and can kind of just calm things down from a perspective of playing alongside Riley. So that pair is fine to me. And then just looking at McKay Brody, they're really good throughout the end of the regular season. They didn't have the best series against Tampa, no. but they're also playing big minutes and they were playing against top lines on Tampa regularly in that series. And on top of that, I think that Jake McCabe just kind of brought a lot of intangibles that we haven't really seen from some of the defensemen on this team before, where it's stepping up and making big hits, like the one against Perry in uh, Game 6 through the neutral zone, or eating, like, six consecutive pills on, on penalty kills, where he's just taking them off his feet, the inside of his knees, like... This guy doesn't care, man. He's remember when the Leafs went out and got like Tim Gleason, and he was eating pucks with his face. Like I was, I'm, like watching this guy. I'm like, oh my god, like he's just jumping in front of anything and everything. And there's oh, something yeah. to be said about having a guy like that. And even if he's not having the best series, it's it's that like whole mindset of like. I'm not playing my best game right now. What can I do to help the team? Well, I can level guys at center ice and not let them get the zone, and I can block a million shots this game. It's like, all right, I'm fine with that. So I think <laughs> that that Brody-McCabe pairing will kind of start to get themselves back in order here. And uh, once this pressure is kind of lifted off them a little bit, I think they're going to be in good position. But yeah, I'm yeah. fine with the defense. Especially bases. Brody,
1: I didn't think he had to... Brody didn't have the best uh, series against Tampa. But hell, I mean, he came up, Big when you needed him. He had that assist on the Austin Matthews goal, so kudos to him yeah. there. Yeah, But
0: and that's exactly that's exactly why you bring in a guy like McCabe to play alongside Brody. Where if Brody ever does falter, right, you do have a defensively responsible partner with him who can pick up the slack. Maybe if he's uh, uh, if he wasn't playing and, and he didn't play as well, so that's kind of what McCabe brought. And like you said, that shot blocking ability, that physicality, and like hey, some people worry were worried about his penalties uh, leading into the playoffs. Only six penalty minutes and. One of them was because someone shot the puck after the whistle and he broke their stick on them. Like, give me that 10 times out of 10. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would agree. All right. Let's get to uh, concerns in this series. Things to look out for. Things that maybe we need to avoid or things that might come back to uh, to haunt this team or uh, bite us in the ass throughout this series against Florida as this one is one that is the Leafs are heavily favored in. So we'll jump right away to uh, something we saw in Game 6. I'm just... We don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Just kind of want to know where you guys are at. Are you at all concerned about the fact that Ryan O'Reilly went 2-for-11 in the face-off dot in Game 6? I wasn't in the moment, and then I saw people online speculating. Maybe this guy reaggravated his finger. Is that a concern for you? Do you think that played a factor? Like, where does that fit into your thought process going into the next series
0: here? What... Well, if if he is hurt then yes I'm concerned. If he's not hurt then no I'm concerned. I think the him being hurt and the faceoff things are two separate things. Uh I guess they yeah. could go kind of hand in hand where if he's hurt and his face that's the reason why his faceoffs are poor. I think it's some people trying to explain away what happened here. I think though like I'm going to have to watch this back, but I feel like a lot of these faceoff losses were probably more winger losses than center losses. Uh and and if you want go check me out on Twitter at TakesbyJ. I'm going to post all of his uh faceoffs from uh last game, quick little plug there. You
1: check that's it out a, for yourself. That's some right? electric content right there. <laughs> yes. We've got face off highlights from game six. You check it out for yourself. You tell me. I mean, me we need it think. though. Yeah, like it, <laughs> not listen, the hero like, we asked for, the hero we needed.
0: <laughs> but no, I I I'm really not concerned with it, honestly. I think he'll be fine. And worst case scenario, if he is doing poorly on the draw, you have Nolachari right beside him, so he can just come yep. in and take those draws. So
1: Yeah. Holy, this guy. sorry looked, for the plug. The instant best investment this guy's ever made in stat <laughs> right here. So you he can look at face offs there. That's that's insanely funny. I can't wait to watch that video though. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I mean, the finger thing obviously, I'm concerned about everything. Damn, like Austin Matthews yeah. blocked a shot, and I went, okay, that's that's the end of it. I'm packing <laughs> it up. I'm moving to Chile, and he was out there next shift. So I'm concerned about everything. (laughs) My paranoia level is extremely high. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how he looks next game. If it's noticeable, if Jason picks up anything, then, yeah. Until then, I'll... uh,
2: We're going to yeah. see like red flags on this guy's Twitter account. And then I'm just shutting everything <laughs> down. That's it because I'm going with you, man. We're out here. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I'll just say I'm not really as concerned about it. Cause one thing I saw people saying that, Look, maybe it's bothering him. I don't, I, I don't know. But to Jason's point, Achari's there beside him. Um, and then my thought on it was he was still fine at five on five play and like playing in the rest of the game. Like he didn't look like he was laboring anything. So personally, I'm not concerned. But we're not going to get any type of injury report until like after this playoff run is done. And hopefully, that's after he's holding the Stanley Cup and you see him with a cast on his finger while he's holding the cup. Like that's <laughs> hopefully that's the moment that we find out. Uh, but that, I'm not really concerned. Um, another thing I had here for you guys, I was I was wondering about. I told you before we started. I have a take. If it's ridiculous, you tell me. I was thinking about it, and I was like, I was wondering. Okay, do we have a concern that Bobrovsky is hot here? He didn't start the series for Florida against Boston. He comes in and he plays really well. I'm not concerned, and here's why. I think the Bruins were an extremely lucky team all season long on their on converting on opportunities and scoring, on their scoring chances and stuff. I think they were performing above where they should have been. And I think in a large sense, it started to come back down to earth towards the end of the season. And then we really saw it in the playoffs there where that luck that they had all season just wasn't quite there. And I think that made Bob look a little bit better. And then the other thing, he was going head-to-head with Ulmark first, who was clearly injured. They've come out and said that he was injured. And then he went in against Swayman and went head-to-head with Swayman. And I'm not taking anything away from Bob and what he did in those last couple of games. But I think that people are going to look at the fact that he walked away with a couple wins against the Bruins and say, man, this guy was incredible. He helped them. I think he played well. But I don't think this is like... We're staring down another Andre Vasilevsky here. I think he was kind of inflated, maybe not numbers-wise, but in people's minds in terms of the result of what happened after the fact when considering some of the other things that went on with Boston to lead Boston to be the team who kind of blew that series as much as Florida did take it away from them. Am I insane? Am I kind of on the right track here? Where am I at with my my Bob take? I'm going to give it to the goalie guy
1: first, yeah. I think you're on the right track. I mean, look at it. 891 save percentage. Like yeah. <laughs> um, Like Bobrovsky, I think, is a fantastic goaltender. He has some insane tools. Like his skating, I think, is incredible. The size, just the, the sheer size of the lad is incredible, too. It's, it's a sight for sore yeah. eyes. But he is leaky, and he does open up, and sometimes he does overplay pucks. And, I mean, we saw the Leafs. It was coming off of a back-to-back, albeit... But we did see the Leafs get to him a couple times this year, did we not? At least a couple, if not I so. more, I want to say. Uh, there was a game, Jason, we went to, and we saw what seven goals yep. on him or whatever. Yep. Like yeah, yeah. he is a fantastic <laughs> goaltender. I wouldn't doubt that he can get hot. I I think that we're in good hands here. Like we did see Vasilevsky heat up towards the end of the series, but you know the Leafs still got to him in that series. Like, look at how – like, the goals that stand in my mind – I didn't watch every minute of this – of the uh, Florida-Boston series, but look at how Tyler Bertuzzi scored. I think he scored a couple like that too. Like, puck went in, did it not? Can you not Mm -hmm. draw a comparable from those goals to what the Leafs did to Vasilevsky? Like, I think if the Leafs continue just hammering home, get to the front of the net, or get your big guys in front of the net, Tavares, O'Reilly, Achari, all those guys – and win those battles in front of the net, and you will find success offensively. Like Sergei is not gonna be able to stop what he can't see or yep. what changes direction directly in front of him. But again, he is a fantastic goaltender. Not taking anything away from him, but like nine oh one season save percentage, eight ninety one save percentage against the Bruins, like made a couple big yep. overtime saves, but you know, this is not these are not numbers that scream to me and say, Oh, watch out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, you guys are being reasonable and citing stats and things like that. I'm just, anytime I see a goalie at the other end of the ice, I honestly get scared. Listen, we got goalied by Merzlikens and uh, Corpus Salas. So we Salas. can probably get goalied by anyone. So uh, I'm a little afraid, but uh, I think I think there's some credence to your point there, Zach, about uh, how kind of Boston made Bob Barofsky look a little bit better than he is. Boston, Boston's game is not like a run and gun type of game, but that's what Florida did. And I think that's what made them successful against Boston in this series. Florida forced Boston to kind of play on their terms, play a more uh, high-event hockey instead of being that low-event uh, su- suppression team that we've come to know Boston over over the past ten years. And if you look at the expected goals in this uh, series, there was one; of, it was the highest, uh, pending the Rangers Devils game. Uh, it was the highest expected goals total of all the games. So, um, right. this is a very high-event series. So, those things will, will lead to. Um, a gold lead looking better of course when you see more more high event uh shots and and uh higher higher scoring uh, higher scoring chances um but again yeah like you said the shooting percentage of this team like we like Zach, i don't think he's a 60 point player i don't think he's that good i think he's good and i don't think he's that good so um definitely riding hot boston and then just kind of crashing and burning so i don't know i guess i didn't really answer that question but um I'm I'm slightly afraid but at the same time I think I think we can do it if we just stick to what we we did in the previous series getting a little dirty create traffic in front of the net and I mean that's probably the best way to score in the playoffs. So. Yeah
1: to get totally off topic here Jason and I actually did an episode we did a statistical deep dive and we compared Boston Tampa Toronto and we found that ter- Boston was mainly just ahead in the converting situation and converting okay. categories and the goalie categories on on scoring chances like they're Ability to convert scoring chances into goals was very high, and their ability to stop scoring chances was very high. Their ability to create said scoring chances was not as high as the Leafs or the Lightning. So, hmm. there is that. And also, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't hurt. What that, episode like, was Berger- that?
2: Piss plug that for people oh. to go listen to. <laughs> Do you know it was off a top wild. your head? It was oh, okay. a wild. <laughs> Jason <laughs> names all the
1: episodes, so <laughs> okay. <after Okay>. <laughs> I like have that March? one too. Uh, yeah, okay. but it also doesn't help, hurt. Like Patrice Bergeron missed several games in this one. I don't know what his health yeah. situation was there. Um, and then disc, Krejci missed uh, herniated disc. There you go. And then David Krejci missed games. Didn't he, did he not? Which was funny because didn't they win all their games when those guys were out?
2: Yeah, I don't remember which games Krejci missed. Uh, but yes, they won the ones that Bergeron was out. Yeah, they did. Yeah, funny. they did. No. But- All right. Final thing I was wondering about concerns here. Jason kind of touched on the other one in terms of the bunting role. Uh, I think that's kind of covered with the third line in terms of O'Reilly and Atari being alongside of him. But one thing I said to Jason, my biggest, biggest concern ahead of the series against Tampa, which proved to be real, very real in the first couple of games was the man behind the bench, Sheldon Keith. I uh, gave me nightmares going into that series about what he was going to do, how he was going to respond and react and line match and all this kind of stuff. I was terrified. And the first couple or the first game at minimum, I sat there and I went, "My god, we're going to lose this this series because of this man." I think he calmed down and didn't go a little bit too ridiculous for the rest. Started to sort things out. He actually had a couple games where he deployed things very well and I was actually really happy with it. Now going up against Paul Maurice, who seems to be someone who around the hockey community, they kind of look at and say, this guy kind of stinks now uh, compared to maybe what he used to be. In this matchup, I'm not going to give him the edge necessarily for Sheldon Keith because I kind of want to see it over a consistent basis where he can prove. Okay, yeah, you could outcoach the other guy, but uh, where do you guys come to in this in this series with the head-to-head of Keith versus Maurice? Are you feel okay with this? What, like maybe is Maurice just going to be too experienced, too veteran? What's your thoughts on that overall in terms of the coaching matchup?
0: I think stylistically, I don't really think that Maurice. I don't think he plays like a certain like style where he like focuses heavy on matchup. I think he's a relatively role, like very, very simple, very simple way of coaching. Very old school. Yeah. Let's call it. Uh, he's yeah. not re- really focused on getting the, the correct matchups. At least this is what I remember from playing Winnipeg a bunch. Um, but I think there is a little bit of a kind of pseudo rivalry between the, like, I guess Paul Maurice and the Leafs and chief Keith and Paul Maurice, just because of how many battles we've had with Winnipeg over the past couple of years, when Paul Maurice was the coach. I mean, I made the argument that the lease basically ran them out of town after we fed them their lunch money. Uh I think it was 2 years Ooh. ago. Uh, and then Paul Maurice kind of stepped down 2 games later and then ended up being yeah. I don't know <laughs> if he was fired or or if he just uh, left on his own accord, but um yeah, maybe like, he was
2: feeling like Rick Bonus and then just said I can't do this anymore. <laughs>
0: that's honestly probably what it was, but uh I'm 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 taking the credit for that as a lease fan. I think we Could You imagine yeah. dealing ca- with
1: prima donnas and having to live in Winnipeg? Oh, come on sorry to slander the sorry to slander the Jets, but Winnipeg. That's great. Sorry to our one listener in Winnipeg. they, Winnipeg. they don't have an airport, but <laughs> they do have a hockey team. Okay. I'm um, not concerned the, at all with yeah, the matchups. Yeah. I'm just yeah. gonna leave yeah. it at that. <laughs> yeah. Fair
2: enough. Fair enough. All right. Final thing we we'll get to here to close this one out, um, series predictions. Wanna know who's winning, how many games? We'll just go quickly on this one. Piz, we'll start with you. Um, prediction in this
1: series. Uh Leafson I said six last series. I don't like to sound so confident, but five stuck in my head, so I'm gonna go five. Leafson five. Uh Jason.
0: I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Leafson six. Leafs love to win in Florida, so we're probably gonna <laughs> drop one or two at home and we'll win win all three in Florida. <clears throat> Our second, <laughs>
2: I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have to deal with that. Uh, but yeah, I'm going Leafs in five as well. I'm on the same page as you, Piss. I think I had Leafs in Ooh. six in the last series as well, but uh, I've also bet on Leafs in five. So Leafs four one, Leafs minus two go. and a half, Leafs series prices. So yeah, it's money sprinkled everywhere on this one. So I am uh, putting my money where my mouth is on that prediction, but Leafs in five, that is my prediction as well. Boys, thank you so much for doing this uh, series preview. I can't wait to be back here at the end of round two as we tee up round three uh, against the winner of Carolina and whoever they play between New York and New Jersey as Mm -hmm. that game's underway right now as we record this one. So, I mean... I would say it's been a pleasure doing these with you. It has, but we're not done. We'll be back here at the end of round two, teeing up round three. So
1: thanks so much uh, again to Zach. That is the least digest on YouTube. You can check us out there. You can see our ugly mugs for the first time ever. You're usually only hearing our voices, but
0: yeah. And I quickly want to jump in. If you ever want to watch, watch uh, the game live with them, If, if you're ever on the road or, or I don't know, something, something comes up, you can't leave the house. Uh, you're stuck at home and you have to, you're looking for someone to watch with, come watch, come watch with us. Uh, Joe might be coming on for a couple. It's a, like, are you, I don't know if you're going to come on or not, but I've been on for a couple of times. I'll be it's as
1: available time. as I possibly can. I'm yeah, canceling so. everything. Nobody's <laughs> allowed to do anything during these playoffs. <laughs> exactly. I need this. <laughs>
0: so, so yeah, if you want to catch us there and yeah, go check out the preview and tell them, tell them that the Rinkart Report
1: sent you. So exactly. Exactly. So we're going to get into some more details regarding this series uh, specifically more into Florida. We didn't talk so much about Florida. We were more on the the Leaf side on that side. I mean, it would make sense. It's the Leafs digest, not the Panthers digest or whatever the hell they have there. But yeah, so let's get into it. Jason, you watched back all of the Panthers goals from the round one, and you have them in buckets in terms of how they scored. Can you go into some more detail for us?
0: Yeah, so... It's not going to be super detailed. I'm going to try. I was going to try and make this into a tweet, but I want to like let, I want to give the listeners a little insight on and insider like information here before it goes live on Twitter. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so yeah, there's, there's a couple buckets. Obviously, they have the, there's the empty net goals that we just instantly throw out. We have the man advantage goals. And I believe they had six or seven, uh, goals with the man advantage. So that includes five on six as well. Um, they had a four on three goal. And then I had, think they had a couple, uh, uh four five on four goals. So those are like the power playable goals. And uh biggest thing I noticed with those is that just simply the amount that they scored. The power the power play percentage you heard us talk about it a little bit earlier, power play percentage is relatively low. So something to not really worry about there. But moving on from those goals, I noticed that majority of the goals were first of all, they were from the home plate, right? I think they only had three goals at five on five outside of the home plate. Um and a lot of those home plate goals. Uh, nine of them, I think, were in the slot. Three of them were outside of the net front. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah so, um, but of those... <laughs> we're going a little deep here. But of those nine goals in the slot, like right in front of the net, eight, I counted eight of them that were directly from turnovers. So it's such an odd thing to watch back because when you think of... Like 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 I said, when you think of Boston as a team, they are very like defensively sound and good with the puck. And they managed... Florida managed to get them to turn over the puck quite a bit. And that led directly to goals. Um, so yeah, th- that's like one of the biggest things I've noticed when watching this team back is that they're very dangerous on the forecheck to create these turnovers and uh, get these goals. And then um, on the other side for the other couple of goals, a lot of them were off the cycle, low to high and just quick shots uh, on the net. So that's kind of like a breakdown, I guess, of Florida. Hopefully it wasn't too long winded there. No, but, it was uh,
1: good.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Uh, very, very interesting to see that. What are your thoughts on like how they're gonna score, I guess, or what the Leafs should be kind of looking out for with how they attack? Any
1: I mean, everyone everyone kind of thinks that like the, the, the Panthers are pretty run and gun. Um in terms of specifics behind it, I mean I'm just trying to think. Like they move the puck pretty quickly, I would say. Uh I think it is a little telling. I mean not probably not telling, but I thought it was a little interesting that Their goals leader tied for their goals leader through round one was Brandon Montour who had a massive game six or game seven that allowed them to advance in the playoffs, five goals in seven games with eight points, geez. And then he actually led the Panthers in power play goals in this one with two uh, in this series, in this one. So guy to watch out for. And from my viewings of him in the past, He's an offensive defenseman. moves the uh, moves pretty well. He's a very good skater, I would say. Um, and a couple of the goals came from you know walking the line and getting the puck through screens. So, someone to watch out for. But I think he is someone that you can exploit defensively. I don't think he's the strongest in terms of his defensive game, but certainly an excellent offensive defenseman. I, I mean, seventy three points in eighty games this year total. So, and he became their number one power play guy. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brandon Montour.
0: Yeah, Brandon Moore is definitely a guy to watch out for. Um,
1: Chatham Ontario's finest, <laughs> or actually, <laughs> but, no. Anyways, he's a Chathamite. Yeah, in, in my opinion, who cares? Like, from? just
0: just looking at their D though, compared to last series, I feel like we're like, I I feel like we're kind of bouncing around here. But like, mm-hmm. just just thinking about like how their D kind of play, like, man, they we can really expose them. Like, oh uh, yes, Mark Stahl, Josh Mahura, like Braco Gudas, like those guys are not fleet of foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we could really, like, hammer them. If we uh, if if we continue to play that similar, like, dump-and-chase game we played in round one, I think it be, could be good. But also, like, we could... Like, I don't know. I think we could also beat them in transition, too. I just don't know what the best way would be to
1: attack. it. I don't know. I think any which way. I mean, from what I saw, I didn't watch, two, uh, like, all of game seven, but I got to see four Mark Stahl turnovers. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that I don't want to misquote. Is he in their top four? I swear he is.
0: Yeah, he's in their top four with Montour.
1: Yeah, Monk, Mark Stahl it's... plays almost 20 minutes a game, 19-20. And he is, you know, on the back of of his career, I'll call it. He is not the strongest defenseman anymore. He struggles to move the puck. He's not that fleet of foot. I think in terms of defensemen to watch out for, it's mainly Brandon Montour. Gustav Forsling is... He's, he's okay. He's a pretty good defense. He plays 25 minutes a night. Um, and then even, I mean, in this one, how was Eric Eckblad? Eric Eckblad went zeros across the board in this one. So again, I, I was mainly watching the Leafs. This is a Leafs podcast. So that was my first and foremost concern. So, but yeah. Yeah. Defense is definitely something that you can expose in in, in their game.
0: And, and it's funny because last, last matchup against the, uh... Tampa. I feel so weird to say last round against Tampa. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, we like got, I mean, listen, they they didn't have Eric Cernak who was one of their better defenses, but we like in the pre-game pre, uh, sorry, pre-series analysis, we talked about how strong their defensive core was compared to ours. And it's crazy. Like our, 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 our defense compared to theirs. I feel like we were really strong. Match I mean, up very well. Yeah. I feel like we match up pretty well, just like head to head wise. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm more comfortable with our, our boys than theirs. Like I mean, obviously, but
1: I would say so. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's go through a pairing by pairing. Their first pairing right now is Forsling Ekblad, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all right. Aaron Ekblad. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to think about him anymore. He used to be such a beast.
0: Yeah, I I think benefit of the and doubt such. and how good Forsling is, I'd give slight lean that their their pairing is better than whoever you consider our first pairing to be, whether it be. Riley and Shen, even though I think Riley's better
1: defensively, though. Oh, sorry. You're you're going Riley Shen. Yeah. I think, I think let's compare Riley Shen versus Stahl Montour. And then you go
0: Forsling,
1: uh, Ekblad versus McKay Brody. And then Giordano Lilgren now, important note, uh, versus Mahura Radko gudis So who gets the edge, Forsling, Ekblad, or McKay Brody?
0: Uh, I think I think forcing Ekblad just the slightest because I think they're probably mm-hmm. a little bit better offensively, offensively. yeah, and they they still still can maintain a good defensive presence. Honestly, mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't d- dug into the numbers, so like this is kind of like me shooting from the hip right now. Um okay. but yeah, that's just what I feel, at least uh, what I think when just thinking about the players and how it's they usually are. Feelings. Yeah, yeah. Like your I don't thoughts know.
1: Thoughts and feelings.
0: Well, like listen, like I I don't I usually like to have the numbers to kind of back that up, but um, of course. I'm sure the numbers uh, are look good on those those two, and I'm sure in the playoffs they look good. I actually don't know
1: how they play. I'm going to look that up quickly. You, In terms um, of expected goals-wise, uh, the number one defenseman actually for Florida was Josh Mahura, and then it went... I don't know why I'm such a genius. I mixed all the Leafs and the Florida Panthers players <laughs> together. Uh, no, but Eckblad was up there. So their best um, pairing was
0: Eckblad-Forsling at 58.2 so. expected goals. So yeah, okay. Uh, that thought... It sounds about right. um. But yeah, wow, that's shocking. The, the Mahara goudas pairing actually did pretty well, expected goals-wise. Um,
1: huh. I would not have expected that, but... ha expected. Wow. Um, so based on last series, you have to give... You pretty much have to give the... <laughs> we, we were trashing their defense, but you almost have to give the advantage, it seems like by what your standards are saying. You're saying give the advantage in two out of the three.
0: No, I, And I still- even then... I still wouldn't give that adva- the advantage there. I think because having like a better second pairing is more important than having a better third pairing. You know,
1: I think the Leafs have a better shutdown pair yeah, than what the Panthers have. Yeah. So like if the Panthers go up, I mean, we saw them blow it to Boston in game seven, but then they were able to regain it. So if, if the Panthers go up, I don't know. Can they hold it?
0: I don't know. I mean, the biggest thing is that the expected goals allowed is still pretty high for these pairings. For the Leafs? And, no, no. Sorry for the expected goals for the against Panthers? For the Panthers. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so, it, it,
1: their games are kind of a wild card. When you look at mm-hmm. it, like, look at the last two, it was a seven, five game. And then the overtime game seven, I mean, you were up in that game by two goals. And then you had to come back last minute to force overtime and then in overtime, you wildly played them. So I think there's a lot of variance to this Panthers team. Yeah. And this is where I think Sheldon Keith is really going to have to be on his game to yeah. really get those good matchups out there. Like, could you imagine like Matthews Marner, Nylander up against um, Eric Stahl? Uh, why is it not working? Eric Stahl, Colin White, and Zach Dalpe and then possibly have a good, like, it doesn't matter who's on defense there. I think, like, so expected goals-wise, because of the offense from the Florida Panthers, I think that's why they have higher, it, it looks better, especially from the last playoff series, but when you look at it in terms of how tight they are defensively, I don't think they're very tight defensively, especially from what we saw in the regular season, right?
0: Yeah, so, and it and it's also kind of like a feat, maybe, is, I don't know if I'm over, like, maybe it's the team that's built for him, but it's kind of like a theme of Paul Maurice esque mm-hmm. teams, right? We kind of saw the same thing in Winnipeg where they're mm. like high, high event, two way run and yeah. gun teams. But yeah, uh, they like, obviously the biggest difference between Winnipeg and now is probably better overall uh, skaters, but the goalies is massive difference. So
1: yeah, Marley played differently. Goalies, but, but I mean, way better forwards for the yeah. Panthers, the Panthers, right? So Another thing that I wanted to point out there, like the Leafs ha- did have some trouble with breaking the puck out, especially there were several games that they just, they really had tough goes at breaking the pucks out. As you, meant, you mentioned to me, I don't even know if you we've been yabbing on so so much tonight. I don't know if you said it on, on recording or not, but you said that the, the Panthers scored a lot of goals. That's a lot of P's. I got to watch how emphasis I put on that P. They scored a lot of goals off of turnovers, both, unforced errors and forced errors off the, uh, the four check, I guess. Correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like they're the, it like just from the watching those goals, I didn't watch the whole series. I tried to watch as many games. I think I watched three or four, but like, again, not going to be as intently as we were watching kind of Tampa throughout the year. Um, but, uh, yeah, like a lot of turnovers, like again, eight goals, I think four or five of them were forced turnovers from a heavy four check. So it seems like what they try to do is, like attack, attack. I, I, and I don't know if this is because Boston has a different breakout and if it will work differently against the Leafs, but uh, they'll attack that one defenseman with the puck and kind of force them to make like poor choices and like mm-hmm. force them to push the puck up ice to a, a winger. That might not be like, that might not be the best option. So I don't know. It, it's it's a little scary when you think about that, because like other than like not, not honestly, there's no one who, who broke the puck out like amazingly well. That if that makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that yeah, was no kind of like that was kind of a good way that Tampa was able to create offense on us. So that's that oh, there's has... no
1: one that breaks the puck out that no, the broke Leafs. the puck up it was extremely well for the Leafs. Okay, yes. good point. Yes,
0: yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm just worried about the forecheck there. Um.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. Okay. Yeah. That that is a very fair point there. So something to watch out for. Um. I think you made a good point with Zach. I wasn't able to make a comment on it, but. With adding, I don't know if it was you or Zach actually, but either way, adding Logren versus Hall. I mean, Logren's a little bit more fleet of foot, I would say, than Justin Hall. Justin Hall didn't wasn't that he didn't not skate the puck up, but I, I like Logren's ab- ability to do so a little bit better. So maybe that helps out Giordano a little bit. But I think based off what you're saying there, like that really is going to put a lot of eyes on Mark Giordano. Yeah. In terms of how can he break the puck out? Um is he able to get those feet moving or is he just going to resort resort to punting the puck into the neutral zone? So something to watch out for there for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, and uh I don't know, some other things I noticed too just I don't know. I don't know if it's just cuz I haven't like paid a lot of attention to Florida this year but like their forwards are a lot better than I like kind of They have a, they have a great forwards, forward. Me two
1: Mr. Ryan, in. are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, I, no, him and Anton Lundell are actually like two sneaky like good players. Like
1: Lundell was good last year. He was a, yeah. a rookie, I believe last yeah. year. He had a he was a he had a pretty good rookie year and then got better and better and better. This year was actually a bit of a down year for him. I thought he was going to really pop off there, but I mean when you look at it, A2 Listerine in this year, 17 goals, 26 assists, 43 points. That's more than he had in his career going into this year. They always seem to to get these guys out of, I don't know if it's a the correct term, but they get them out of the woodwork. I mean, Carter for Hage came over from the Panther from the lightning to the Panthers as a fourth line player. This year, he had 42 goals. Brandon Montour was a third, a pick trade for a third round pick. And even last year was decent, like a good offensive third line player. Now he has 73 points this year. Um, Gustav Forsling was claimed off waivers years ago. Sam Bennett, everyone laughed that oh, Sam. Costed two seconds for Sam Bennett. What a how garbage! Forty points in sixty three games this year, and actually had a very good playoff series too. Um, so there always seems to be those random guys where if you don't pay attention enough to the play, the Panthers, there's gonna you're gonna look at their their hockey DB and be like, what the hell? Um, e two luba luba babababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababababab or some other random guy probably shouldn't have said it like that. Um, buddy Valastro will call him, uh, had 63 points. That's going to be next year. Future headlines.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, that's like their third line's really good with Sam Reinhart there too. On, on that wing with those mm-hmm. two guys, like, but uh, like you mentioned Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett's been like really good for them in this playoffs. Um, it's been really like,
1: good for them the last two years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just good overall. Like he generates like a lot of shots, like in the, in the slot from the home plate. Like he's, He's a, a guy who's just good at like getting good chances and creating good quality, and like having him with like to and Cousins. Cousins like kind of stinks, but like he somehow works a little bit on this line. Um, yeah, like, I think I, th- that's I think another I, th- guy. <laughs> I think they use them. This line as like more of a shutdown line, though, mm-hmm. um, and like a a pesky yeah, kind of like a pesky shutdown line. So they're kind of like kind of sneaky because like you have Matthew Tchuk on that line. He's obviously yeah'd be annoying, and he's kind of a, he's he's a stud, so like they're they're really like three deep. How do you think they those these fours lines like match up against ours? Do you, like I know we touched on a bit like matching, and we didn't think they would like do like a hard match, but like match up wise. like how do you think we could like we stack up against them?
1: Ooh, that is a great question. Um, I think really, if you really want to tilt that series, like the third line played great. They've had a, like, those three guys. Well, two of them had very good years, I would say. Reinhardt, 67 points or some odd. Lucirina, as I mentioned. Lundell, a bit of a down year, but still a good player. I think you really got to put pressure on and outplay them on that second line there. Like, or third line, sorry. The third line there. Like, when you're you're O'Reilly, Achari, Bunting line, really needs to win that battle versus the third line. The fourth line, I'm not. That concerned about. I mean, Callum White, Eric Stalzak, Zach Dalpe, whatever. Yeah, it's, it is what it is, and like obviously, their their first two lines have some weapons, and Nick Cousins on them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy that Nick Cousins, like had, like
1: did he play on this line for the entire year? Do you know? Like, I don't believe so.
0: No, such a like odd switch, but like here's the thing. Like, hey, I
1: mean, four assists in seven games, playing eleven fifty one a game.
0: Yeah, that's bad. that's that's pretty good. And like like we said, like I think they have kind of a similar idea to us. They want to be three deep, right? Like I think yeah, I think we can all agree. I think that's probably the best way to do it. If you if you don't have like elite like defensemen, I think like I think that's like mm-hmm. a good way to kind of utilize your forwards, create three deep lines, and always be putting pressure on offensively. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly.
1: So I think you really gotta. I mean, with Matthew Kachuk, hopefully get him off his game, but that will. Like in terms of draw an extra penalty here and there, and hopefully make them pay on the power play. But I mean, then again, they could just say that about Michael Bunting, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So they I got mean, some they got some dogs on this team. I mean, Carter Verhage just his goal scoring ability, his release, his patience with the puck like it's exceptional. Last night, like that stick right right in front of him, he receives the puck and just ever so perfectly like. Toe drag a little bit around that stick and then just puts it right where the goalie's not. Like, I might be speaking incorrectly here, but I feel like his shot isn't that hard. He just every single time puts it right where the goalie's not. Just, I'm going to take this puck, I'm going to change the angle on it, and I'm going to put it wherever the like, goalie's not there, I'm going to put it right in there. Right? Someone actually told me that Dennis Marook, he was a five foot eight NHL player. I used to play men's league with him. He put up 130 points, I believe, one year for the Capitals, which I think is still a record. He had 60 goals. Ovechkin beat him with 65, but that's what he used to say. He was a small guy, didn't have the hardest shot. I just put the puck where the goalie's not.
0: Yeah, I, it sounds simple Stupid when you concept, say like but, that, but <laughs> no. But I, mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, but also some guys just have that touch, you know? Like he, oh yeah, Heger kind of has that touch. Crazy former Leaf guy, uh, <laughs>
1: former Leaf draft pick, Nye Grace, dogs boy.
0: Um, but it could have been, yeah, he, he's looked really good this se- series too. Like, also, like, like, pretty, quiet, most quiet for it was 40, 40 goals, 45 goals, I mean, 40,
1: just, yeah. uh, 40 some odd, 41 One most believe, quiet 40. 41
0: goal seasons. Like, but I mean, ahead. then
1: people, there were so many guys that scored 40, 50, True. 100 points, whatever, that it was like, oh, quietest 50, Braden yeah. Point, quietest 50 point season. Did Kuching, I don't know, like. Everyone put up so like Brandon Montour, quite a 73 point season for a yeah, defenseman. Yeah. Like crazy stuff. So I wouldn't underestimate the Panthers, but I do believe that the Leafs just have that defensive structure that they don't, that you really have to, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't like change your entire game plan, but I would really be careful with uh I would I don't know what I'm saying right now. Anyways, <laughs> I seriously got... cliche after hockey cliche. No,
0: no, honestly, like this, this team is obviously has like, sh- like we shouldn't underestimate them. I think that's, that's yeah. what, kind of what you're going for here. Like they have good offensive weapons, right? Like to Chuck for mm-hmm. Hagey, uh, Bennett, like Brian they're deep. We just talked about all the, all these guys. Like we haven't even mentioned Anthony Duclair, like Duclair's also, again, amazing. And, and had, uh, I haven't well, touched
1: on, <laughs> he had a tough season. Like he missed most of the season, 20 games played, nine points and then in the playoffs this year he has not done anything he was a scratch at one point i mean two two points so far in six games with a minus six uh he was a scratch at one point last year he was a scratch in the playoffs too i mean for some like i don't know what it is maybe he's still injured a little bit he suffered a horrible injury so i wouldn't doubt it maybe yeah he's playing first line
0: yeah like again like but he's a guy who's Proven that he can score in the past, right? It's like I don't think those are like he's a good shooter. He's a good yeah. finisher, right? And like he's again, like we didn't even touch on Barkov. Like we barely touched on Barkov. Like we have not. Yeah, that's like, the
1: guy. You tell me. Oh, we haven't touched on Anthony Duclair. Well, don't I was we just like touched, I was like, like listening on the guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, yeah Alex like, Barkov's
1: I'll, a hell of a player, two way especially too. Like
0: are are we worried that's about another dog? Are we worried about him matching up with any like? Any of our lines, like do you think, like obviously, like if we had like a Tavares, like the Tavares Nylander line back together, I'd be worried about like matchups, thinking like that. But I don't think there's a line I'd be worried about. Like, what do you? Like,
1: is there a line in terms of matching that I am worried about? Like, do hmm. you
0: think the Matthews, li- the Matthews Nylander, nice line
1: Tavares when Tavares is with Marner and uh Yarenkrok, I would not. Say so there, like if they go back to Tavares, nylander then I'd be like, okay, there's a few lines that can burn you here. Um, but right now, I think they have everything pretty evenly spread out. I would be concerned, especially what you said about the turnovers. Like Matthew Nyes, we really gotta, you know, the, the the center on that line, Austin Matthews, really has to support him there. Uh, Matthew Nyes has really got to do a very good job of making sure you're not you know, making sure that puck leaves the zone at bare minimum or that you're getting it to the center. So that could be something for concern because like if you have a Matthew Kachuk out there and you turn that puck over, good night, Jim K- or and, or Carter Brahege, they have some guys that can really make you pay.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so. I think that's like, yeah, we touched on that. Like that's how they scored against Boston. So,
1: yeah. Yep. Indeed. That's- right now the Rangers and Devils are in game seven Rangers. Uh, Devils are up three, nothing and some Rangers fans are going home early with five minutes left and the camera found them. So just, uh, just a heads up. If you're at a game and your team is about to be eliminated, do not leave early, especially on the road or the camera will find you and you will be embarrassed.
0: I think that's a good lesson to yeah, think things. Something
1: to, something to tell the grandchildren. but anyways yeah so in terms of the florida panthers good team that obviously beat another very good team they have some like very strong points but like there's holes to be picked through here right like we mentioned the d had some success have some good players on there but also they have some guys that are in positions that they absolutely should not be in Goaltender. They have a big, mobile goaltender that can make huge saves at very timely parts of the game, but also he can be squeaky. He only had a 900 save percentage this year. You know, it'll uh, it'll take a consistent effort. To go all fully hockey cliche, you have to play a you have to play a full sixty minutes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. I don't, I don't think there's anything read out there.
1: Yeah, it'll be fun. Second round. I'm Get nervous,
0: hype. man. I'm nervous. I don't know. but
1: Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? I mean, uncharted terror Well, not uncharted, but I haven't been here in a while. Yeah. 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 So, anywho, you have any uh, other points that you wanted to touch on here? Nope. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Goalies, cool. go.